Bakersoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. The Thorn in the Nest, Episode 4 Early hours were the rule among the settlers in those primitive days, and by nine o'clock all was darkness and silence in the dwelling of the Lamars. A bed stood in one corner of the large family room, a trundle bed beneath it, which was drawn out at night, and here slept the parents and younger children. One of two smaller apartments between this and the kitchen was appropriated to nail, the other occupied by the older children. The young girl was roused from her sleep in the middle of the night by something falling down the wall close to her side. Piercy, Piercy, she screamed in a fright. What is it, Nell? answered the Major, springing out of bed. Oh, I don't know, I don't know. It's too dark to see, but oh, come and bring a light quickly. That was more easily said than done. Friction matches were as yet an unknown luxury. The choice was between flint and steel, and the fire covered upon the kitchen hearth. He chose the latter. But it was a work of time to hunt out a coal from the ashes and blow it into life till it would ignite the wick of a candle. The thing was accomplished at last, however, and the light revealed a viper beneath Nell's bed. The Major succeeded in killing it, and soothing his sister's alarm with a few kindly, reassuring words again retired to rest. It was some time before Nell's fears were forgotten in sleep and a grumbling voice from the kitchen woke her early in the morning. Dear me, who's been raking over this fire? It's clar out, every spark of it, and Tig, you'll have to run over next door for a brand to start it with. Sylvie, the cook, was evidently very much out of humor. Pshaw, you didn't cobber it up right, returned the boy. You get along, was the wrathful answer. I reckon you done raked it over yourself, and I'll tell de Major if you done quit cutting up such shines. Be off with after dat brand now, fast as you can go. Nell turned over on her pillow and listened. Piercy must have forgotten to cover up the coals again, she said to herself. What a narrow escape I had. What with vipers in the town, bears, wolves, and panthers in the woods, I seem to have come into a dangerous place. She sighed rather drearily, a homesick feeling creeping over her, spite of her love for Piercy and the rest. But that presently vanished before the beauty of a balmy, sunshiny May morning, the sight of the well-spread breakfast table, and the affectionate greetings of her brother and the children. I'm going shopping now, announced Mrs. Lamar two hours later, when the house had been set to rights. And Sylvie given her orders for the day. Will you go with me? Shopping, echoed the young girl in incredulous surprise. Yes, do you think Philadelphia is the only place where one may shop? No, but here in the woods? Yes, here in the woods we can shop. We have already three stores. So they donned their bonnets and sallied forth. It was pleasant walking in the shade of the great forest trees, traversing at the same time woodland paths and village streets, the twitter of birds and rustling of leaves in the breeze, mingling with the busy hum of human voices and the sound of the woodsman's axe, 
for men were engaged here and there in laying the foundations for new dwellings or clearing spaces preparatory to doing so. Not many rods from the general, Anthony, Wayne, they came upon Dr. Clendenin and his friend, Godfrey Dale, standing together in earnest conversation, while some workmen stood near, apparently awaiting their directions. The gentlemen lifted their hats, Kenneth with the grave, quiet smile Nell had learned to know so well. Godfrey saying, A pleasant morning, ladies! Are you going to build? asked Mrs. Lamar, nodding in return. Yes, a double office with a hall between, said Dale. We think it will be sociable. A man came staggering up, axe in hand. I, I'm after a job, and you, you will want these trees cut down? We do, Davis, but you're in no condition to wield an axe at present, returned Dale, and growling out an oath, the fellow staggered away. It's perfectly dreadful the amount of drunkenness we have here of late, remarked Mrs. Lamar, looking after him. Yes, whiskey's too cheap, said Dale. Men, women, and children are getting drunk. How is that? inquired Kenneth. There is no distillery in the vicinity. No, but since keelboats have begun to run on the Scouta, the Mongohella whiskey manufacturers have rushed their fair water in here in such quantities that the cabins are crowded with it, and it has fallen in price to fifty cents a gallon. They'll be making work for you, doctor, said Mrs. Lamar, and I hope you'll try to convince the people that whiskey taken in such quantities is ruinous to health. Ruinous to body and soul, he said. You may rest assured, Mrs. Lamar, that my influence will be decidedly against its use. We will take a stroll round the town now before making our purchases, Claire said, moving on. What a grave, quiet manner Dr. Clannon has for so young a man. It was a new phase of life now, presenting itself to the young girl, and she found it interesting. Her attention was presently attracted by a squall walking a little distance ahead of them, wearing a shawl completely covered with silver brooches. They get them at Detroit in exchange for furs, moccasins, and baskets, explained Claire. You know, I suppose that they are quite skilled in ornamental work with beads and porcupine quills. The Major joined them, and they extended their walk for a mile or more through the woods, climbing the hill that forms the western boundary of the valley, from which they had a bird's-eye view of the village and the surrounding country, a beautiful landscape in all its native wildness, diversified with hill and valley, forest and prairie, traversed by streams of living water. Returning, they called upon Mrs. Nash, whom they found in excellent spirits, full of enthusiastic delight, with her new home and her restoration to the companionship of her husband after months of separation. That seemed to make amends for everything accustomed comforts could be done without. Inconveniences easily borne, they would soon be remedied, and in the meantime were mere subjects for mirth. She's a cheery and wise little woman, was the Major's remark as they went on their way again. Yes, always the same, assented his wife. But we'll hear, hear a different story here as they approached another cabin. This is where the barbers lived. Nell and I know Nancy of old, so do I. And we part company here, said the Major, laughingly, lifting his hat to his wife and sister and hurrying on his way while they drew near the open door of the dwelling. Walk in, ladies, said Mr. Barber. 
putting his little girl off his knee and trying to give them seats. How do you do, said his wife, coming forward. I was just wondering if you two were going to be formal with an old friend like me. How fortunate you are in being able to run about enjoying yourselves. Well, here I've been hard at work since daylight. No time to rest after my long journey. But I must go to work washing up our dirty clothes the first thing. No, now, Nancy, expolated her husband. You needn't have done it. I told you there were camp women about from Wayne's army that would be glad of the job. And I wouldn't have one of them near me if I never have any help, she retorted. But I never get any thanks from you. Work as hard as I will. Father's been at work too, put in Flora, leaning up affectionately against him. And so have I, and we've got most everything fixed now. Yes, you look quite settled already, Mrs. Lamar remarked glancing around the room. It needn't take long for that when you've but one room and next to nothing to put in it, whined Mrs. Barber. But perhaps it's just as well not to have much or it might be stolen from you. For I dare say those camp women and soldiers are thievish and I don't suppose there's any sort of government here yet to protect property. I've never heard of anything being stolen here, said Mrs. Lamar, though to be sure the town is not a year old yet. Well, there was a suspicious-looking woman prowling around about here last night. She came in making an excuse that she wanted to light her pipe at the fire and stared around as if she was taking note where things were in case she should get a chance to help herself. Pooh! Only idle curiosity, said Mr. Barber. You're always meeting trouble more than halfway, Nancy. We're out shopping, remarked Nell, with willing to change the subject of conversation. Shopping, echoed Mrs. Barber with a derisive laugh. Yes, said Mrs. Lamar, rising. And that reminds me, Nell, that we should be attending to it at once. It was no very arduous undertaking. In the first store they entered, they were promptly supplied with the darning needle and skein of thread they were in search of. Change was made in a novel way, literally made, by cutting a silver dollar into halves, quarters, and eighths. The merchant, an unmarried man, was extremely polite and courteous, and while waiting upon the ladies, cast many a furtive, admiring glance at the slight, graceful figure and fair face of the Major's young sister. Kenneth had a call that afternoon to a case of delirium tremens, which took him past the dwelling of the barbers. He knew they went were not in, having seen them but a few moments before strolling in the opposite direction, and was therefore surprised within a few yards of the cabin to see a man issue from the back door with a bundle under his arm and disappear among the trees. The doctor paused for an instant with the thought of giving pursuit, but the call for his services was urgent, and he hurried on again. Turning a corner the next moment, he came suddenly upon a man and woman, conversing together in low tones, who at sight of him shrank guiltily back into the shadow of the trees, but not before his quick eye had caught a sight of their faces in the gathering gloom, for twilight had already set in in his ear a few words of their talk. A pretty good haul, considering. Yes, and now we'd best be off. Suspicious words enough. But Kenneth had no time to think of them then, not for hours afterwards, so critical was the condition of his patient. It was only when on returning about sunrise the next morning, they were, were recalled to his mind by the sound of Mrs. Barber's voice lifted up in scolding and lamentation. Yes, they're gone, every one of them. That overcoat, just as good as new, the shirt I finished only the day before I started from home. And that elegant bandana handkerchief. 
I told you somebody would get in and rob us in our sleep. If you didn't fasten the door well, perhaps you'll believe another time that my opinion's worth something. There, there, Nancy, don't go on as if everything we had was lost. The town isn't so large that a thief can keep himself hid for very long in it, Mr. Barber was replying as the doctor stepped up to the open door. Good morning, he said. I accidentally overheard Mrs. Barber's lament in passing, and I think I can throw some light on this matter. Then went on to tell of what he had seen and heard the previous evening. So you see, Nancy, we weren't robbed in our sleep after all, was Mr. Barber's comment I addressed to his wife. No thanks to you, anyhow, she retorted, and it's your fault all the same, because I wouldn't have gone out and left the house alone if I'd had my way. Mr. Barber subsided. Why could he not learn how utterly useless it was to attempt to justify himself under the accusations of his wife? And there you sit, never moving hand or foot to find the thief and get your own out of his clutches, she whined, moving about with disconsolate and martyr-like air at her work of preparing the morning meal. Well, well, I'll go and see what can be done, he said, rising and putting on his hat. Doctor, would you recognize the thief? I'm quite sure I should know again the suspicious-looking persons I have been telling you of, Kenneth answered as they stepped out together. Now don't be going all day, Mr. Barber. Breakfast will be on the table in half an hour, his wife called after him. Very well, he said, looking back. Am I to let the thief escape rather than keep you waiting for an hour? Of course you'll do one or the other, probably both, she fretted as he walked on without waiting for an answer. Though it needn't take half the, that time to scare this wretched little town from end to end. It did not. Scarcely ten minutes had elapsed before it was known by every inhabitant that a theft had been committed, and that a man named Brannon and his wife, people of low character, whose absence would be gained to the place, had it absconded during the night. They were not desirable citizens, but the stolen property must be recovered, and the arsony punished. A hot pursuit was immediately begun, and before noon the culprits were taken and brought back in triumph. But as yet the town had no constituted authorities. What was to be done? The citizens gathered together on the river bank, chose one of their number, a Mr. Samuel Smith, as judge, and proceeded to try Brannon in due form. A jury was paneled. The judge appointed Godfrey Dale as attorney for the prosecution, and another young lawyer, Morris Gerald, by name, for the defense. Witnesses were called and examined. The goods had been found in possession of the accused, but he stoutly affirmed that they were his own. Barber, however, was able to prove property, and Dr. Clendenin's evidence was strong against the prisoner, whom he identified without hesitation as the man he had seen carrying away a bundle from Barber's cabin the previous evening. There was other testimony, but Kenneth's was the most conclusive. The judge summed up the evidence, the jury retired to a short distance, and in a few mo moments returned with the verdict of guilty, and that the culprit be sentenced according to the discretion of the judge. The latter presently announced his decision, ten lashes upon the naked back of the prisoner, or that he should sit under a bare pack saddle on his pony, while his wife, taking it by the bridle, should lead it through every street of the village, pausing before the door of each house with the announcement, This is Brannon, who stole the great coat, handkerchief, and shirt. Brannon chose the latter, horn of the dilemma, and a responsible person was appointed by the judge to see the sentence immediately 
unfaithfully executed. The crowd waited to see the man mounted upon the pony, then scattered to their homes or other positions favorable for watching his progress through the town. He submitted to his punishment in dogged silence, glancing about him with an air of sullen defiance as he took his seat. Then his eye caught that of Kenneth fixed upon him in grave pity, and the look was returned with one of bitter hatred and revenge. "'Curse you!' he muttered under his breath. "'The day will come when you'll repent of this.'" Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresoft Story Classic. Thank you.